Welcome. You are listening to Nard Bites, a Dungeons and Dragons show where we discuss various topics about D&D and all other TTRPGs. Enter at your risk, but beware, things may get Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognar, the young, the young Grognar, kicking your tail live with another Nard bait. Uh, this week's Nard bite is all about character creation. Uh, a suggestion from the wonderful Jared from the from the show, who has so much to tell us about his creative process. <laughs> Jared, you want to go first? <laughs> all right. Well, Jared just left the call. <laughs> I'm gonna keep going, even if Jared <laughs> left the call. Um, so I guess as far as the topic of character creation goes, there are definitely a lot of steps that go into it. And even though some might look at it as a very black and white sort of dealio, where it's like, you know, pick a class, pick a race, pick alignment, blah, blah, blah. I do think that there's a lot of spaces in between where the uh the real um fun kind of comes into character generation. So I mean, we got a few options for how we could do this discussion, but uh, somebody suggested, or at least gave the thumbs up before leaving the chat, uh, that what we could do is we could uh, uh, just kind of go through the list of the, the well, I guess three remaining here, and just explain how our personal uh, process that we go through to make a character. Um, so I don't know if one of you guys wants to go first, but because I'm a dungeon master, I suppose my process will be different than yours but I can speak on behalf of how I do my own characters. So do you guys want to go first or would you like me to go first? Yeah. I mean, fucking go for it, bud. Then we can get all your talking out of the way at the start for once, (laughs) you know? So I suppose as a dungeon master, my approach is going to be different than everybody else's, but in a lot of ways, very similar. I think that the biggest thing for me is, and as corny as this sounds, I find that, and I already had an episode about this way back in the beginning of the show about the voices. And so I'm like, when I create a character, the one thing that always kind of comes to me first is the character's voice, their mannerisms, their expressions, sort of like the, the spirit of the character is what I go for first. And I kind of fill in the details afterwards. So I think that like having a good voice in mind and not just like how they talk, but like how they express themselves, like one fighter versus another fighter in how they like, you know, walk into a tavern. Like what is the, like the, the move? How do they, do they have swagger? Are they quiet? Are they modest? Are they proud? Like how does this look when they come in? And when I think about them, like, um whenever they uh order a drink or something like that, the question is, do they, you know, do they demand it? Do they have a gruff voice? Are they kind? Are they polite? And by answering these questions, I can answer questions about like how the character class functions, what ability scores might make sense. You know what I mean? If a character is very quiet and very meek, is it the case that they're not strong or they like lack constitution and they're very intelligent? Or is it the case that that's just how they present themselves? So whenever I'm making a character, like the first thing I do is just envision them in like a theater of the mind sort of scenario. 
And then I kind of fill in all those details. Typically, when I pick a class, I try to pick something that complements a party. Since I very rarely actually play a character, usually I just pick whatever will complement the group. If somebody's excited to play a fighter, somebody's excited to play the thief, the mage, I'm like, well, I guess I have to be a cleric or something like that to round it out. So then I kind of fill in the spaces to make my ideal work to fit with that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the simplest way to put it for mine. Um, as far as an alignment goes, I try to keep pretty close to how the third edition approach to alignment worked. Um, they had a pretty succinct little explanation in the player's handbook, but usually I kind of feel like my characters, I try to ground them in their alignment as either like a passive or active alignment. So if a character is like actively evil, then I have to behave evilly in the situations where I can. Whereas if they're passively evil, it's like, you know, they have evil sentiments and ideas, but that doesn't really come to the forefront. So I try to think about how like, how active is their alignment in their actual play style? And then I kind of go from there, you know? So for me, it's just a matter of like getting a feel for a character is really the short and sweet for it, for how I pick one. So now that we've got all the talking out of the way, uh, which one of you boneheads wants to go now? I think we're good. That's the episode, man. <laughs> well, for me, I guess. Look at that. No, I can go because, you know, I have. Uh, a, a thought though now uh, the hearing what Dan has to say in the process is pretty similar as a player and occasionally dungeon master though rather than start with something like a voice I usually start with either like a simple concept an archetype or a reference uh, when I come up with what kind of character that I want to play uh, so for example when I was making Norhill for uh, the Herald of Steel campaign, my simple concept that I started with was a small squad battlefield commander. And then everything else about him kind of flowed uh, through from there, you know, from ability scores to race class combination to, you know, how he acts in role plays. And, you know, the same thing will go for, you know, one of the other two, like um, an archetype, like, you know, uh, the scholar, or uh, the holy man, or a reference. Like, I want to play a character like the wizard from The Last Unicorn. Uh, and then that usually answers most of my questions. And as a player, I find that it helps to start with those things because it means that I don't necessarily need to be married to a particular race and class combination and start from there, right? So, you know, again, if I start with the concept of a battlefield commander, but somebody else wants to play a fighter, well, then it's easy enough for me to be like, okay, I can still be a battlefield commander, but let's say that I'm a ranger, for instance, instead, and I'm just a different type of soldier, or I'm a bard, and you know, I'm the banner man or something. Like, I, I find that it leaves a lot of you know wiggle room to fit into a group, where it's still having something that you can latch onto for building a character. Um, and since we're talking about alignment, uh, I tend to take the approach that alignment is descriptive rather than uh, prescriptive, right? So I don't say Norhill is lawful good. I say, okay, uh, Norhill has, you know, this sort of uh, morality. He would react in these ways in a situation. So he's lawful good. And then I can, you know, sort of come full circle from there and, you know, play him as a lawful good character. 
after uh, figuring out how he would act in certain specific situations. Right. And I mean, I know when I mentioned the whole passive and active alignment, it kind of sounds like that feels pretty prescriptive for how to behave. But I think that overall, having a very firm sense of identity for a character almost precedes an alignment. So if a certain character like yours, like you said, the battlefield commander there, like has a very firm stance on honor, it's like it, it feels like something that could transcend an alignment, even though it would probably fall under certain alignment styles more than other ones. It's interesting how having like that firm idea in your head of their ideals and their setup almost informs alignment more than anything. But it would be kind of interesting to think of creating a character where you think of the alignment before you think of anything else to like build a wizard and be like, he's going to be neutral evil, but how? But yeah. So Ryan, what, uh, what about you? Yeah. I mean, I think I come at it from almost the complete opposite angle as you guys do where I'm not looking for a character voice or a like, archetype or sort of like anything else at the very beginning uh the first thing i'm checking is the primer that the dm prepared to see what races are good and what aren't for whatever the setting is and then after that uh sort of reading up on how those races are represented in the world and then once i get a good idea of that it's uh narrowing down on a race that i think will be interesting to play that i will have like a lot of fun opportunities to kind of play around with in the role play space uh and then going from race once i've locked one down to a class usually by this time at least some people in the group have an idea of what they want to play like hard this is what i'm gonna do uh generally for me uh since mostly i play 5e i don't really care too much about party comp you can make anything work it's fifth edition i'm not worried um like as long as you're not like truly truly bad at the game and your dm knows how to balance encounters you can get through with almost anything. So it's mostly I'll narrow it down to like a couple classes that I think would be interesting and then wait a little bit and see what other people pick on. But uh, for me, like I once I have the race locked down and an idea of what they're about, then I kind of think about how what like a representation of every class of that race would sort of look like and i start focusing further down from there especially if i know what kind of subclass i'm going for i feel like subclass for me plays a lot into character creation because i feel like some subclasses very heavily say like flavor your character in a way that others don't so i kind of want to know going into it if that's going to be the case so i can let the uh dm or gm no as well uh so once those like two or three things race class subclass are locked in it's then looking at well what's the uh stat array going to be is it standard are we rolling that kind of stuff because i i like i i i have a hard time 
coming up with a personality for a character before I know like their hard stats as well in a way like I, I I know you can play against type and do certain things but if I have a character who's going to have 18 strength and 16 constitution I feel like they know they are pretty strong and tough and will act in a way that permits them to show that off because i feel like those stats are just as much a part of their character as anything else um like those are the actual things when push comes to shove you're rolling dice against those numbers so you can talk to talk but if your character can't walk the walk it doesn't mean anything uh and that that influences what i'm going to try and role play out of these characters quite a bit uh, and then once I have all that, I will start really considering who my character is in the world. I'll start going more into depth about backgrounds, uh, that kind of stuff, and just sort of like really fleshing out the skeleton I have, putting everything around them to make them an actual person. Damn. So yeah, I mean, yeah, like the I mean, the voice comes at the, almost always the very end. Like the actual character voice comes to me almost always very last. I mean, just as a, a bit of nuance, when I say the voice, I mean I do want to qualify that it's like the voice doesn't necessarily just mean literally how they sound, so much as like again the spirit but like, and essence. Yeah, of yeah. Character. If you were to describe them walking into a tavern, you know, right. But yeah, it's I, I get it. It isn't. It is interesting how you bring up sort of the role of a dungeon master and the role of a campaign setting into character generation because I didn't really frame it that way. But perhaps that's just because of my place usually as a game master that it's like I kind of always have a predetermined campaign setting in mind. So it's almost like built into my head whenever I make characters for my stuff that like I always knew the backdrop. You know what I mean? And I think that one of the most important ways to make a character that actually like will flourish in a game is to pick one that makes like good sense for the campaign setting. So if you're playing in a medieval fantasy game, but you're very, very hung up on playing an artificer and you're like very, very hung up on being like full on mechanical artificer with a mechanical hound and all that stuff. If your character is the only character ever written into the world who has artificer qualities it's like it's hard to say that your character is really going to flourish in any meaningful sense because now the dungeon master has to create an entire world based around that character. Like they have to create like all whole elements and like all these different things to make that character make sense. And that's not to say that that's a bad thing because I mean that might be the creative push to give the dungeon master something to work with that'll really, you know, make for a more living, breathing world. But I do agree with what you're saying that it's like it's better to have the world in mind first and foremost. Rather than like have pie in the sky dreams about playing the fucking Eric Hawkra goddamn artificer with a flying drone robot and then have them be like, uh, well, funny story. Uh, neither of those things exist here. <laughs> right. So, you know? Yeah. I mean, but like, I, I, those creative constraints are what make for better characters in my mind. And I agree with that completely. I have maybe dozens of characters built up that I've, I've made for fun, but knowing full well like i don't know how i would introduce this character into a campaign setting that wasn't 
like it would have to be a very specific fit because like otherwise it feels like it's a disservice to the character you want to play and to the setting itself you know yeah but that's the beauty of being a dungeon master is i just get to put all my stupid ideas into one stupid game and have you guys meet every stupid idea as you go through it but it does make you wonder how much when you're making characters how much you fall into a loop of making the same character over and over and over again i think we all like to believe we don't do that but I do feel like the majority of people end up following into some sort of archetypal pattern in one way or another. doesn't mean it's necessarily, I always play fighters or I always play evil characters, but I'm like, there are certain edges to how people play that I think some people fall into more ruts of this than others. And like Anthony, as an example, I'd say your characters tend to be more lawful and that's not even based on alignment, but I feel like you play more characters that are built into a world's organization rather than as an element or counter element to like societies. So it's interesting to think that like, and I mean, granted that's just based on like a few of the characters I know of yours, but it's interesting to see how much like when generating a character, how much it almost reminds me this is going to sound weird but like with mountain dew and every time they release a new flavor and they always have like the mountain dew flavor that transcends so it's like even though it's voltage or it's fucking code red or like the classic flavor it's like it always tastes like mountain dew even if it's completely different so it's interesting to see like what the secret ingredient of an anthony character is that transcends every character's generation and it almost makes you wonder is that element built in in the generation portion or is that when Anthony breathes like the life into a character at the table that that comes out? You know what I mean? It's like, is that pre-baked ingredient or is that only come in once you start to do the voice acting? You know what I mean? Probably, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other, right? You know, we all have our personalities and, you know, just like, you know, you you can force yourself as much as you want to eat a food that you dislike. And you may even come to tolerate it over time, but it'll probably still never be your favorite food, right? Like, you know, I could play, you know, uh, like a big dumb barbarian character, which, you know, is not me. I've, I've, I've thought about it uh, from time to time, but you know, that's just never been a character archetype which i've been drawn to um so you know i'm sure that i could enjoy playing a game you know just as well but you know playing you know my usual you know more lawful uh well wizard fighter rogue type characters is probably always going to be that much more fun for me I feel that, I mean, when it comes down to classes that I prefer, I feel like I always end up either playing a fighter, a wizard, or a bard. I don't know why it's always those three, but it's like, that's usually the the room that I play in. I mean, I never really find myself too moved to play characters like barbarians and rogues, nor am I really all that moved to play like a cleric. You know, knights and paladins can also be kind of cool, but I'm like, for some reason, I just, you know, I think, like you said, we just have our comfort spots that just like, it's kind of like how for the new show that we're doing, which, you know, not a teaser for it or anything, but when I when I wrote the intro for it and I mentioned that I'm like, you know, grimdark fantasy is fine, but it's not where I find my fantasy home. It's like if I had to improv an entire story, a fantasy, it wouldn't be grimdark. You know, if you put a gun to my head and said, tell me a fantasy story off the top of your head, 
I would not talk about Grimdark. So if I held a gun to your head and I said, make a character right now, I don't think you'd be like, uh, barbarian, uh, barbarian man. Like, I don't think that would come out of you. And I think it's interesting to think like what your knee jerk characters are. Is that because it's what you're well versed in? Or is it because that's what's like off the cuff comfortable for you? You know, it reminds me of almost like improvisational music, you know? I think it also comes from like the character that I appreciate in fiction and sort of look up to, right? You know, some of my uh, uh, favorite uh, favorite characters, uh, just uh, off the top of my head that I can think of, you know, like Bilbo Baggins, uh, uh, Commander Shepard. Those are the two that come to mind, where they're both, you know, respectable people with a very clear place in the societies that they live in, um, you know, who do the best, uh, who, you know, do what needs to be done in their respective stories. Right. And so, you know, and that's kind of why I feel like I always end up falling for a character like a fighter or a paladin or a knight is because there's that regimented sense of like, I don't know, upholding a sense of values more than your sense of security in life. You know what I mean? With characters like Sturm Brightblade from Dragonlance, just more willing to die at the hands of somebody in order to appear to be like a righteous knight rather than like survive and lose your dignity. So it's like, you know, characters like that, I just, I feel like hit me in the soul more. So I like to emulate those and try to live up to, you know, those kinds of characters. But Ryan, do you have a kind of character archetype or, or vibe or something that you feel like is your home spiritual place for fantasy? I mean, for me, it's always going to be just like, I, I wouldn't, describe it as like lawful i think it's just like straight in the middle good i just like being someone who helps people like always any of my characters vesterch withstanding he is a special case but like i i don't know i've i i can't i i have a tough time playing a character who is like fully selfish who if they saw someone in danger they wouldn't try and help them that kind yeah. of stuff like it's i i like i i just want to be someone who would help someone you know and so i i like i bring that into almost all of my characters like very rarely do i make a character with the idea that they would act in their own self-interest over someone else that they cared about or even that they wouldn't they don't care about and they just met for the first time i mean honestly I, that's why it always feels kind of weird to me when you play in groups with people who instinctively jump for that chaotic neutral ish area of character where they like openly talk about setting fire to buildings or like kill a guy take their stuff i'm like that grand theft auto mentality of gameplay always struck me as like super fucking weird to be like just always doing that like i get it if it's like a jokey game with your pals and you do that once but like when that's your default it's like what does this game mean to you at that point why in character generation do you always picture them like singed with with scorch marks from bonfires and, and structure fires like why is that what comes to mind that you're like like stabbing people and taking their wallets like why is that what comes to mind with fantasy that's but, why i like play with jared so much you know he's the yin to my yang <laughs> i mean you know so. people I, 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 yeah, it comes to the fiction that you expose yourself to 
uh, right? So, you know, if your exposure to uh, this sort of fiction is Grand Theft Auto or like the Elder Scrolls or something where you're just, you know, set free in a world to do whatever you want with no consequences, you know, that's how you're going to approach a game like this. But, Man, listen, know, I, yeah, I just, I've, I've played, played a sure of those games too. They're very fun in their own rights. But, you know, when I discovered D&D back in college, you know, it was like finding the perfect game that I always wanted to play because it wasn't that. Yeah. It was a game where you could actually be a part of the world within reason. I just, I feel like I got all my edgy evil phase out of myself when I was like 10 to 15 and playing Bioware games. Like I, I, I got to just go full Sith Lord and KOTOR and just be an absolute dirtbag and fucking fable. And it's like, done. I got it all out then. I actually don't enjoy being cruel to virtual people, imaginary people. It just doesn't feel great. There's... Yeah, I, I, I don't have a bone in my body for that either. I did when I was a child and I got it out, I guess. I mean, I I, know. Just recently I tried to do an evil run through the Mass Effect trilogy and I couldn't even commit. Yeah, I've, I've never gone renegade as Shepard. Just couldn't do it. I, I just It's not in me. I don't, I don't have what it takes anymore to be that mean. That's why evil characters from the get-go are kind of interesting. Because it's like, I, I can think back in my time playing the game with a few people that I've ever played with who have played like long-lasting evil characters. And I think about a character like uh, our me and, uh, me and uh, Anthony's friend from college, Dphil, his uh, character, Hanuman who was chaotically evil. But what was interesting is that he was a, a elven rogue turned assassin and his, his character was just fucking unkillable and managed to come back from the dead, what, twice? But either way, he was, uh, yeah, a master of the rapier and had hide skill out the wazoo. But the thing was is that his evilness was so tasteful for our party composition because he was an unstoppable murdering machine and the rest of the party was not on par with him. So they like fearfully kept him around because they knew without him they would be lacking in one area. So there was like this constant tension of like I don't know, having somebody being evil around and that totally fucking sucked because they would have to like constantly like take care of the nonsense that he would do but they also knew that like if they actually punished him he would fucking cause trouble and then they would not know how to handle it so it was like it was interesting to have it around but like again at session zero where you don't have the build-up i would rather have every evil character start neutral and become evil than have evil characters turn neutral i would rather have every character start off with the potential to go one way or the other and have it naturally go that way Rather than go from out the fucking gate, like, nah, man, I'm a bad motherfucker. I'm gonna like let your fucking Which house on fire. Kind like, of, and, yeah. yeah why I, I don't think I mentioned a lineman when I was like making my character, like because yeah. it, it's alignment sort of for me always comes out in the first couple episodes in regards to the world they're in, what I perceived as their background, and the party itself. And I didn't uh, mean to talk over you, Anthony. So. Oh no, go ahead. No, yeah, you're fine. But yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say that I feel like evil characters don't really have the chops 
at like first level to play their evilness like you know well what, what are you going to do back talk yeah, the town guard as a chaotic evil level one assassin you're gonna get killed like tasteful evil in a game where not everybody is well tasteless evil rather in a game where not everybody is doing that isn't going to last long so either it needs to develop itself over time or you need to play it exactly right right which you know it's interesting that we don't really look at good the same way nobody really says like well you don't walk out of the gate playing a level one paladin and expect to be able to be the good guy in every situation it's like it's weird that we don't look at it that way and i i think that's just because paladins inherently have to be team players sort of whereas evil characters always feel like they're going to inhibit other people from getting done what has to get done but I don't know if that's more a discussion for another day. I suppose I mean, yeah, that, that's know. like you know, big picture, real world, moral philosophy stuff, right? You know, it's uh, like um, the like didn't you say tell me once that the very original alignment chart only had lawful good, neutral, and chaotic evil. So that's good actually, was always, that's actually fourth uh, like, edition was always lawful. Yeah, they was always chaotic. Yeah, they broke it up so that it was lawful uh chaotic and in the middle was neutral and that's why when you read old modules like the uh what's it called um keep on the borderlands you have like in the uh in the what's it called the caves of chaos like chaos is just a stand-in term for cosmic like evil because cosmic chaos usually means like evil spooky gods from other dimensions so when the cultists at the at the caves worship raw chaos it's like that's they're bad people you know but yeah. So, so, uh, so I mean, yeah, I think I think it comes down to what we as humans perceive as good or evil in a character, where you know you don't expect the paladin to have to live up to his goodness because goodness means like humility, following the rules, being a team player, um, and you know not following every selfish impulse that you have. Whereas evil means going against all of those things, and you need to have strength to back that up if you're going to go around doing that whereas a good character doesn't need to have strength to back up their goodness i i feel like it might it's mostly just you need to have strength if you are the inverse of whatever the majority of your party is because i am playing in a campaign currently where i play a neutral good barbarian and he is the only person in a party of I think seven other people who will not just be the worst person on earth at every given opportunity. And because he has the strength to back up his position, he keeps everyone else in line, like wrangling a bunch of pyromaniac, kleptomaniac, murder maniac cats. So you, I, it's, the it's the inverse Hanuman where there's one good character, everyone else is evil, but they have to respect the good character's wishes because he has the strength to back it up. Well, you know, and I think not to continue this conversation any farther on about alignment in the uh, character generation thing, but I do think that what's kind of interesting is that that strength doesn't necessarily have to be there from the get-go, which we've already said. But I also, I used this term earlier, but the concept of active versus passive alignment also 
is one of those interesting things that I think alignments become more active over time. And I think that it's one of those things where it's like being the evil character in the beginning, you could be evil as sin, but just don't act upon it. When you're in a party of people and they're like, we have to save the kids at the orphanage. And you're like, eh, I mean, like you can disagree with them and still do it because that's what the party's <laughs> doing. But then at later levels, when you're full on evil and you can like fucking melt the priest, like, I mean, you know, it's just a matter of like, you can be evil as sin. You just don't act upon it every time. Like you don't have to burn every church you see, but when somebody's like, won't you donate to the church and you put an illusory coin in the cup and then just like fucking disappel the illusion after like that's evil as shit. It's wicked rude. But it's not like actively like you have to have the strength to back it up. Like, no, you're just a dick. You know what I mean? Somebody's just like, my kids are starving. And you just stick your tongue out at them. Like, that's fucking funny how evil it is. But you didn't have to do anything, you know? So I don't know. That's why I I just feel like active and passive character alignments are a very interesting way to view alignment in a game. Or you could be lawful good in the same way where you just have very pious beliefs. You just never argue about it, you know? You just, you know, donate when you can, do things when you can, but you're not like, no, I have to fight the villain by myself and save every orphan by myself. You can recognize if I go to help, I'll die, and that would suck, and just kind of, I don't know, do better next time, I guess. But And I mean, yeah, yeah this, uh, this does play, you know, into, you know, character building, that this is more how do you play a character, and once we've gone through the steps we already talked about, maybe that's a conversation for another day. Yeah, right. But um, I guess, does anybody have any final comments on this? Someday, Dan's going to let me play an hour, Kroka. And it's going to be the greatest day of my life. I don't see the appeal. Why would you want to play a fucking parrot? Like, why? why I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to play one of the owl people anyways. I mean, I feel the same way about Kenku. Like, oh boy, I've just locked myself in and not being able to talk the whole time I'm a character. Wonderful. I just I don't I guess see they the have the advantageous stats, but I just I don't understand the appeal of playing like any of these characters because the farther the more alien the character race gets from normalcy, the less you have to go off of with roleplay. We talked about this, but like the point is, I'm like I just how do I fucking roleplay Birdman? Like other than the fact that everything's going to be just from this perspective of man who's a bird. Like you walk in the tavern and you immediately find something to roost on, like. You know what I mean? Like, why is that? Like, that's not fun. It's just that's fucking why, like. That, that, that's why everything is basically human, man. Yeah. But so this is a human with wings. But either way. Okay. Well, I okay. I guess that's our final comment. Is Eric Cochran <laughs> fucking suck? Um, <laughs> did anybody have a real thing to say? Nah. Well, sorry, Jared couldn't come back. <laughs> Apparently he can't you, even come in the You actually killed him, which is pretty impressive. For those at home, Jared was in the call at the start of this. Dan tried to pass the conversation over to him, kind of on the spot, and Jared died. He left the call and never came back. You know, that's what I call character development. You know, can't stand the fucking microphone, don't step in the kitchen. But all right, well, rest in peace, Jared. Goodbye, everybody. R.I.P. Hey everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in. 
And if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at ygrognard on Twitter, or you can even send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things... Dungeons. Dungeons.